I just want to tell you guys, I'm, I'm so blessed to be here with you this morning and to see all of you practicing social distancing and kind of spread out here. Uh, if you're watching us on Facebook, we love you. We're glad that you're with us and praying for you. And let us be uh, a gathered body that uh, reminds us that we are the body of Christ. And so what a privilege to be able to um, be here this morning. Sometimes in my life, there are just times where I just kind of go, Lord, what in the heck are you doing? You know, have you ever been like that? It's like, Lord, what are you trying to teach me here? You know, this is just, for instance, for me, um, back in January, you know, because we had had our vestry retreat, I had planned to have a guest preacher, uh, a, a woman who was going to come and speak, a, a deacon in the Anglican church. And the weekend that she was to come, she got diverticulitis and had to, and had to bail out appropriately. And, and so last minute, I had to put together a sermon, and, uh, and we got through it. Some of you were here for that. Uh, Richard Horner is supposed to be our guest preacher today. So you notice in your book, this is the week that we, we focus our, on uh, the Christian Study Center, one of our strategic partnerships. And Richard comes and loves to come. But he and I talked, and throughout the week we decided that, you know, really this was not a week for him to come and be a guest preacher that I needed to preach as well. So as I drove home from Asheville with my good friend Alex Layton, he's the other caller in the room here, uh, we began to work on a sermon that I'm now going to preach to you. And uh, that was Friday afternoon. So uh, I think the Lord may be telling me he wants me to preach more and quit trying to give away sermons. That may be the thing the Lord's teaching me. But there may be something else as well, and, and I'm trying to listen and learn. What in the world is the Lord trying to teach us through this COVID-19 virus? What is he trying to teach us? What in the world, Lord, are you trying to say to us, your people, through this? What are we to learn in the process of this? I, I hope that that is the question on your mind and your heart, that you're asking the Lord, not simply just trying to wash your hands extra amounts and, and, and keep social distances. By the way, I'm kind of a germaphobe, so I'm glad all of you have to wash your hands more because it's always concerned me personally. So I'm glad you're washing your hands more. And Ramona at the early, at the early service, she said, Honestly, I never really liked all the hugging and touching, so no touching at peace is a great thing as far as I'm concerned. So there are some benefits to some of us uh, for this COVID-19. But my prayer is that you're listening to the Lord and you're asking him, Lord, what do you want to show me? What are you teaching me? What are you teaching us as we walk through this extremely strange time in our lives? Well, we continue on. I, I was blessed by the Exodus passage, Exodus 17, that's before you today. And I, I really felt led pretty clearly early on, although, man, we could preach and talk and pray and talk about uh, the John 4 passage forever, but it, it, we have before, and you know that passage, and go home and study that on your own. But I really want to draw your attention back to Exodus 17 that Rick read for us, this, this thing that happens at Rephraim, Rephraim um, and how the Lord begins to talk to his people. Um, let me remind you of the place that this passage falls in the Exodus account. Um, God has brought the children of Israel out of bondage, out of slavery. He's redeemed them, and he's brought them out into the desert. He's got the Pharaoh's army at, at their backs, and he takes them out into the desert. And then, of course, miraculously, he parts the Red Seas, and he brings them into the, the wilderness, and they begin to make a journey towards Mount Sinai. They'll get to Mount Sinai in chapter 19, so they're almost there. 
They're very close. And God's been bringing them on this journey. And we who are privileged, as Paul says, to read about what's going on with the, with the Israelites, we can see that there's a path that they're on. And, and, and so the end of chapter 15, after God defeats Pharaoh's army, uh, and, and he brings them into this place where there's water. It's called Mara, but it's bitter water. And they begin to grumble. They begin to complain about this bitter water, and it's not really drinkable because it's just, it's just not, it just has a nasty taste to it, I guess. And, and, so, and perhaps they were afraid that it was poisonous. So the Lord hears their grumbling and their complaining, and he, he brings a sweetness to the water. He turns the water into a sweetness by Moses touching his staff to the water, and, and they're able to drink, and they're refreshed. So they've, they've had that experience of God Richly providing this, this amazing uh, sweetening of water to them. Well, chapter 16, they're moving along and they begin to grumble and complain again because now they don't have anything to eat. And they're, they're, it's the desert. And so they're, they're not equipped to, to kill desert things and lizards and whatnot and eat those things. So they're, they're freaking out about food. And so what does the Lord do? He sends them not only manna from heaven, this, this, this sort of coliander bread kind of a stuff that comes from the, from the sky, but also quail so they've got both meat and they've got uh, bread and so they're all good and, and they've grumbled and complained and, and, and yet the Lord has provided. So now we come to Rephraim where, where, where we have the passage this morning in 17 and, and again they're at this place of, of grumbling and complaining. As a matter of fact they kind of up it. The, Moses is talking with them, and they begin to quarrel with him, which is more than just grumbling. But before I get there, just, just to make this point, the Lord, you know, Israelites are, are to be for us a reflection of our own discipleship. And the Lord is bringing the Israelites to a place. He's bringing them to Sinai. And remember that at Sinai, it's where God reveals himself to them in a way he had never done before. They know him in a, in a more intimate way. The elders of, of Israel, we are told, sup. They eat with the Lord. Whatever that means, and I don't fully understand it, but they encounter God at Sinai in a way. He reveals himself in a way that, that just blows their minds and blows our minds to, to know that God would, would reveal himself to, to us, humanity. And yet they're, they're almost there. The Lord is carrying us too. He's carrying us somewhere. And it's good. It's better than where we are. And we have to remember that. The, the COVID-19 virus did not catch the Lord off guard. He did not go, oh my gosh, what am I going to do now? Scramble, you know, give some wisdom to some people because I didn't, exp- the Lord already knew this was going to come on us. The Lord is not surprised at all by this virus, but the Lord is carrying us somewhere better just like he was carrying the Israelites on to Sinai that he might reveal himself to him. He is carrying us somewhere better. And we need to keep that perspective that wherever the Lord is bringing us to is better than where we are. They were so close to Sinai. They didn't know how close they were. Talk about that a little later in the passage. But remember that God is carrying us somewhere better. They can't see it, though. They keep, they keep complaining and grumbling um, you know, he's not only, I mean, bitter water made sweet, manna and quail. I mean, he's providing for them. Just overlooking the fact that, the, hello, the ten plagues 
and uh, defeating the army and bringing them through the Dead Sea. I mean, the Lord has been faithful to them. He's been providing for them. He's been overwhelming with them with ways that he has provided for them in the past. And yet, again, here they are. And, and this time, it's different. Like I said, the word changes from just grumbling to actually quarreling with Moses about their situation. And how does Moses respond? Typical pastor. Lord, what am I going to do with these people? You know, what, are you kidding me? Look at these people. I cannot believe they're doing this, you know. You, you know, oftentimes in the scriptures, uh, it's the, the leader, the, the last resort is the, they, they, they threaten to stone the leader, you know. So that's why there are no rocks out front. I instructed, instructed Ken to get really small stones because those will just hurt me. They won't actually, you know, kill me. But uh, no stones on the property. We live in Florida, no big stones. But, the, but Moses says, they're, they're about to stone me. They are, they are done. They are, they are quarreling with me. And that word quarreling really gets at, they, they become contentious. They become accusatory. It's as if they're putting God on trial. And, and that's what Moses comes to. He says, you know, they're, you're quarreling with me, but you're really quarreling with the Lord. It's really the Lord that you're quarreling with. You're beginning to be accusatory towards, towards God. That he, in fact, is not who he said he was. That he is not faithful. That he's not going to provide for us. That he's brought us out here to, to let us thirst, you know, to, 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 to basically have nothing to drink for us, for our children, and for our cattle. And by the way, if you're still worried about your cattle, you're not quite at the, part, at the point of, of, you know, of dehydration and death. Because you're still worried about the cattle. I don't know about you, but... The cattle are the, the, the first people to not get water, okay? My dog is not going to get water. Between me and him, I'm going to get the water first, and then I'll make sure about him. But they're already at that point of being accusatory of God, of being contentious towards God, of quarreling, of, of believing that God, in fact, is not true to who he was. They begin to falsely accuse him. A friend of mine has just gone through a very, very painful false accusation against him. He's completely innocent. He is not in all, nothing to do with, with what he's being accused of. But I have seen the pain in his life that it's caused by being accused. By, by the reputation, the harm to it, and the worry that even the, the, the accusation, though unfounded, might damage his reputation and affect his life moving forward. That is a, a horrible thing that we can all relate to, and, and we all know that we're, we're vulnerable to it. You know, anybody can make an ex- accusation, and so you can't take it back once it's out there, especially with social media. Imagine a false accusation against our God that he is not who he says he is, that he's not a God who loves and cares and provides for his people, that he's not aware and is bringing us through. He knows our thirst. He knows the things that we're worried about this morning with regards to this virus. Not just a few weeks of being separated, but, but months. Uh, a disturbance of our life. Listen to a friend on, um, on Facebook just describing you know, his business. He's in the, he's in the uh, event business, and uh, just this week he's had 40 events canceled you know, over the next four or five months. And worry not only for himself, but for his family and also for his employees who don't get paid if they don't get to work. I mean, many of us can work remote. Uh, many of us will continue to be paid, you know. But, but think about all the people who 
have to actually go to their job and are in, in fighting with, do I protect myself and my family or do I derive income? They are, we're all thirsting for all these things. But in those things, are we beginning to, to quarrel with the Lord? Now, it's interesting. In the text, there are two words that are used. For a long time, I thought uh, Meribah and Massa were, were actually the name of the place, but they're not. Rephraim is the name, or however you pronounce that. Alex will correct me later about how to pronounce that name. But, but Massa and Meribah are, are not the names. They're names the Lord gives to that place. Because those two words refer to the, the quarreling against God, which is um, Meribah, and the word testing God, which is Massa. Now the Lord has been testing the Israelites. And let's just talk about that word testing for a minute because it's kind of tricky. Um, but the, the Lord has been testing Israel. Meaning that he has been taking them through a series of events whereby they might learn obedience and trust in him. Where they might mature in him. If you're a Star Wars person like me, think of Luke and Yoda, right? It's not that it's not that Yoda's trying to give Luke a test, pass or fail, or trying to prove that he's not worthy. He's in fact trying to mature Luke in the force. And of course, Luke is not a very good student and runs off and all that stuff like that. And that's George Lucas. But but it's but in with the Lord, he is trying to bring them through a series of tests that he might teach them to depend upon him that find him to be trustworthy, to know that he provides, and to be able to walk by faith. Now, for me, this whole COVID thing, you know, it's hard for me to go back. The bishop and I were talking, and and the bishop's older than me, and he was talking about um, the polio uh, epidemic that happened in America when he was a boy. And his father, who was a physician, was uh, was at the hospital for two months, didn't come home because he he couldn't, didn't want to expose his children to, to polio. I, I can't relate to that. I've not lived, I've not lived that long. Um, but I, I can remember events that were, you know, times that I believe the Lord was using to test me. For me, one of the things, I'm older than this, but, you know, Y2K, right? The, the, you know, t- the, the year 2000, January 1. Uh, it takes me back to being in seminary. Three little kids, Jake, Charlie, and Sam are like one, three, and five. They're probably like, you know, a couple of years older than that by, by the time Y2K came. But here I was, I was living in, in seminary. We were living basically at the poverty level, dependent upon what God would, how God would support us, how the Lord would have people send us some money to live off of. Uh, kids were on welfare, uh, you know, uh, state medical insurance. Jody and I didn't have insurance. And, and Y2 rolls around, and I'm going, what an idiot am I? You know, how have I put myself and this, my family in this terrible position? You know, we're in Pittsburgh, up in Yankee land, you know, miles and hundreds of miles from all of our support system. No offense to you northerners, but, but uh, you know, and, and, and it's like I have no support. I've got no income. I've got no job. I, I don't, you know, and, and remember 2000, Y2K? The whole world's economy is going to come crashing down because we're not prepared for 2000. And so, and we walked through that. Well, let me tell you, as I think back now, the Lord taught me to trust in him through that process. He wasn't, Alex, are you going to pass or fail? Are you good enough to be my follower? No, what the Lord was doing was he was, he was testing me. He was giving me opportunities to, 
trust in him, to learn obedience, and to believe that he would provide. And he did. So as a pastor now with a faith budget, knowing that I'm dependent upon the, the offerings and to do, because it's not speaking from faith, it's speaking out of fear. It's speaking out of a, a, a belief that perhaps God is not who we thought he was. God ate the snakes of the other magicians, right? Take that. Talk about power, right? It's the staff that, that Moses used to, to, to break open the Red Sea, right? And the people cast through it. And then, and then God used the staff to close the waters and to defeat the, to kill the armies of Pharaoh that were trying to kill the children of Israel. That's the staff. He says, Moses, you go get your staff. You're thinking, oh, man, it's going to be bad, right? And he takes that staff and he says, you take that staff and you take the elders. Oh, the elders are going to get it. Here we go. And you take them to Horeb, which is, just so you know, is another name for Sinai. It's the same mountain. It's part of the same mountain as Sinai. They're used interchangeably at places. You take them to the mountain of God and you strike the rock with that staff. What? Oh, wait. This, this rock, you, you, the people, right? The elders, right? Who's getting this beating here, right? No, you strike the rock. And Moses strikes the rock and water flows out. This, uh, this flowing water flows out and the people have their thirst quenched. In the face of their quarreling with God, their accusative Words and thoughts and actions of distrusting God, of accusing God, of falsely accusing God, of not being a God of goodness and love and provision. The Lord doesn't strike them. He strikes the rock and the water flows. What are we to learn from this passage? A couple of thoughts and then I'm done. First of all, I believe that as the people of God, we have to always keep perspective of where the Lord is taking us. Where he is taking us. Kind of already said this one, but just remember, they, they don't even realize that they're, they're, they're nearly there. Have you ever given up and then found out like you were like one more hill and you were there, you know? You, you feel like you're never going to get to location. You pull off and say, I think I'm lost. I don't know where I'm going. And then you find out, no, you're, you're like... You're like two minutes. You just go down the road and make a right. That's sort of the way the children of Israel were. It, it, they were almost at Sinai, and they were ready to quarrel and put God on trial. We must keep in perspective where God is taking us. COVID-19 is not going to be our last, the last word for us. Amen. Even, even if we're someone who contracts it, even if somebody we love or know or family members, uh, God forbid, dies from this virus, that is not the last word for them or us. God is carrying us someplace, and it is better. Amen? And we need to continue to have that perspective on things. The Lord is carrying us through this. He's not going to abandon us. Secondly, our grumbling and complaining with leaders oftentimes mask our grumbling and complaining against God. You know, it's interesting, as a, as a former youth pastor, um, I, I was acute 
to the idea that how people perceived their parents often reflected on how they saw God, you know. Whatever they thought about their parents was a reflection of sort of their understanding of God. We, we begin to know God through how we know our parents. And, um, and I think that's true. And, and I want to say this. I'm not particularly thinking of pastors. I, I'm not, this is not one of those things where Alex is trying to get your sympathy because I think you're being too hard on me. You're grumbling and complaining. I'm really here thinking about civil leaders and maybe bishops, archbishops, and, uh, and others that are in leadership over us. It is easy for us to grumble and complain about them. I know I have caught myself doing that some this week. You know, second-guessing them. But the Lord, I think, wants to remind us that oftentimes those grumblings and complainings are actually masked grumblings and complainings against God. Failure to trust him. Because what does Paul say? He says that he has put certain authorities over us, and they were to submit to those authorities. Yeah, we may have differences of opinions of what we would do, in this, but ultimately we, we have to learn to submit to those, to those authorities because ultimately what the Lord is doing in us and our stubbornness and our rebellion and our self-centeredness and our thinking we always know best is in fact more important than the actual event that's going on, what he's doing to us in the midst of it. So I would encourage you to be concerned. We, I, I'm thirsting this morning. I, I'm, I'm worried that, I'm, I'm drinking it in this morning, but I'm, I'm worried that we may have to not meet, not congregate for a while. And I don't know about you, but I don't think worship is an unnecessity or a non-necessity. I believe coming together, being encouraged by one another is important. That I'm, my faith is built by seeing how many of you are here. And I hope you're being encouraged in your faith by what I'm speaking and how I'm preaching to you today. We need that from each other. We will thirst for that if it's deprived of us. But in that thirst, I, I pray that God guards my heart that I don't begin to grumble and complain against leaders rather than seeing the long perspective that I just talked about. Thirdly, we need to see the coronavirus, the COVID-19, as a way that God is testing us. Not pass-fail, not are you good enough, that's not, what he's, that's not what he means by testing, but an opportunity to trust him, to be obedient, to learn how to see him as our provision when we can't see it for ourselves. It's a lack of faith that causes the children of Israel to begin to test God in an accusatory manner. Guard against that. See the Lord using all things, even this, as something he's going to use to test us, to bring us to maturity. And then lastly, and I've purposely left it out at the ending, I didn't elaborate. Do we see Jesus as our rock? Do we see Jesus as our rock? Paul says in 1 Corinthians 10 that, that when God used the rock in the wilderness with the children of Israel, that that rock was Christ. And that the power of God, the, the staff of Moses that he commands him to strike the rock with, is in fact striking Christ. And from Christ comes gushing living water. The very thing that Jesus says to the woman at the well. 
He, he, he describes to her that he has within himself living water that, that will meet a need for her that will cause her never to thirst again. Christ is the rock. He's our rock and he's our redeemer, as I say every week, right before I preach. Do we see that Christ is our rock? He is the gracious provision of God. Meribah and Massah are known for their crumbling and their testing of God, their sin and their disobedience. But how does God respond in the face of our sin and disobedience? He offers us Jesus. The writer of Isaiah says that the iniquities, in other words, the sins of us all were laid upon him. And from him, by the things that he was struck with, the things that he suffered, his death comes living water. It's the gospel, you guys. It's the gospel right there. And Paul Paul calls it in 1 Corinthians 10. He says, the rock was Jesus. This is another manifestation of the gospel. Another way you're to see that, that Christ is our ultimate Need met, our ultimate thirst quenched. It's really strange. Jody and I um, are grieving because a, a woman that she knew through her work um, was on a trip and uh, was supposed to come back from a, a convention that she was at with a company. And um, basically, as she was about to get on board her plane, she suffered a, some sort of a stroke or a, a, an injury. And um, we don't know, she's in critical condition. We don't know if she will survive or not. And for, as I'm grieving with Jody, and Jody knew her very well, I didn't know this woman very well, but it's interesting because it, it really changes the perspective because we're all worried about the death of friends and families and elderly neighbors, and, and, and rightfully so. But, but, the, but you know what? The, the Lord knows knows our lives and for that woman maybe that was the thing she was worried about up until the moment she had that stroke so grateful that a a co-worker um, at Jody's office not Jody but another person shared about Jesus Christ shared about his life-giving gift to all who receive him and, and our prayer is that, because we don't know, is that that woman in that last time of her life, that she trusted in Jesus, just like the Samaritan woman, and that she drank from the living water that Jesus offered, that she understood that Christ is the one who took the penalty for her sins. And that, in fact, she died with the peace, or that she will die if she does, in the peace of Christ. This is, this is what we offer to the world, going hysterical f- for the coronavirus. We offer the peace of Christ, the living water of Christ, the hope of Christ. The belief that God is not done with us, but that in fact, he is using all things to grow us into maturity, into the likeness of his son, Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ, our rock and our redeemer. Father, may you continue to test us, Lord, to 
Create opportunities for us to believe and trust in you. Lord, show us ways to offer your living water, Jesus, to all those who are thirsty for many things. Lord, the, you say the fields are white under harvest. Lord, help us to see those who need our help. Help us to see the Samaritan women, the women that are there, the Samaritan men that are there. The, Lord, the, those that, that are there waiting to hear hope and to be comforted. We pray these things in Jesus' holy name. Amen.